pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again through this platform uh, to be able to study your word together. We really pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of your word. So we pray that you honor this time as we come before your throne and as we dig into your word. Lord, tonight we want to thank you for being with Maverick, Jen, Josh, uh, Lord, the entire family. We want to thank you for the doctors and nurses that you've provided to care for Maverick. And Lord, we're so thankful that he um, had this um, procedure this morning. They were able to, to fix both sides of this hernia. And uh, Lord, we just pray from this moment forward that, um, Lord, he will just continue to be a miracle. And we thank you for the work that you've already done in his life. And so, Lord, we just, we're grateful and we're thankful. Lord, we pray for our country. Lord, we pray for friends and family, those that are carrying around such a heavy weight and a heavy burden. And we pray that uh, there would be change to take place. There would be conversations that are being had. That we would be closer to one another as a people, Lord, all races, all languages, all nations that during this time we would come together. And this would be a watershed moment so that when we look back years from now, Lord, we'll be able to say that that was a tipping point and a turning point in our history as a country. And so, Lord, we ask that you do what only you can do, and that's to change the hearts of men and women. Draw them close to you. We ask that everything we say tonight would be glorifying to you and edifying to the body of Christ. And we pray this in the precious, holy, beautiful, and powerful name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Savior. So, let's dig into uh, to Hebrews chapter 1. Um, so, the letter to the Hebrews, um, it doesn't really identify uh, an author. So, most of the New Testament texts will, will identify who it is writing. So, there's been a lot of speculation about who wrote the book of Hebrews, and, and I think most argue, and what the most traditional argument is, that the Apostle Paul wrote that. Some believe that if it wasn't the Apostle Paul, it was one of those uh, who traveled with him, who uh, went on missionary journeys with him, planted churches with him. Uh, so when we think about that, some of the names that sometimes come up, of course, would be Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, uh, Barnabas, Apollos, uh, Timothy, Silvanus, um, and, and a few others are some of the names that are sometimes mentioned. Uh, but I think um, by the, the largest majority, it is the Apostle Paul that most people attribute um, Hebrews to have been written by him. Uh, whoever wrote the, the book of Hebrews, uh, it's the revelation of God. God revealed this through his Holy Spirit to the writer, and the writer brings to us this book that is uh, pretty much known as probably one of the most difficult books to interpret in the New Testament probably only behind the book of Revelations. And the reason that Hebrews is such a difficult book to, to read and interpret uh, is because it quotes so much of the Old Testament. So you really have to be versed in the Old Testament um, to get a good understanding of the study of the book of Hebrews. And so um, although our study is not going to be built around word studies of Hebrew and, and Greek, um, just know that the writer of Hebrews had a, a very sophisticated ability to write in the Greek language and to use much of the Old Testament in this book, probably without a doubt. Now, this is not something I've studied, but just uh, based on the pattern of the book of Hebrews, 
Uh, it's got to be one of the books that has probably uh, some of the most Old Testament quotations in it. And so, um, so even though we don't know if Paul wrote this or one of those who traveled with them, uh, we look to the early church fathers, those in the first uh, century, uh, going into the second century, um, and who they looked and viewed it. And so we find out that, um, that one of the, uh, I guess the first church father we might look to would be Clement, uh, Clement of Alexandria, who lived uh, A.D. 150 um, through A.D. 215. Um, and that early, he's already saying the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. He's also joined by Eusebius, the, the historian, uh, as well as um, Augustine. And so these, um, they identified the Apostle Paul as the writer. Of course, we just don't have definitive conclusion because Paul didn't sign his name to the letter. Doesn't mean he didn't write it. Uh, he very well could have written it. If he didn't, one of those who traveled with him is the, probably the leading candidate. But what we need to know and what we need to understand is it is an inspired book by God uh, through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. And so, um, so just kind of the message, what takes place in the book of Hebrews um, leading into our study, uh, I would say this. Uh, again, it's, it's a difficult book many times to interpret and to translate. Uh, and because the Hebrews vary dependent on the Old Testament, uh, the book of Hebrews is. And uh, much of what the author says kind of requires you to know and understand what Jewish Christians in the first century uh, believed and the culture. And so we see a lot of that. Uh, but one of the things we see is they're going through a difficult time. So the writer's writing to the Hebrew people, to Jewish Christians, because they seem to be going through such persecution that they become so um, disillusioned, um, so burdened by the persecution and the strain that they find themselves under uh, during uh, the Emperor Nero, um, at least up until A.D. 70. And then in A.D. 70, of course, the temple um, is destroyed by the Romans. And so the, the Jewish Christians were really facing heavy persecution. And, and so... Um, the letters recipients, those, those that, uh, if Paul wrote it or whoever wrote it, uh, were kind of wondering whether or not following Christ was really worth the persecution that they were facing. And in effect, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is to urge them and say, yes, it's worth it. You know, keep going. Don't turn back. Stay the course. Finish the race. Um, and basically just saying, listen, Christians, as you encounter opposition when it comes to your Christian faith um, and you, you think of throwing in the towel, um, don't. Christianity is worth the struggle. A relationship with Christ is worth the struggle. And so the author has a lot to say about how Jesus is superior to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Um, so, uh, so yeah, written to the book of to the Hebrews, stay the course, keep your head up, don't throw in the towel, the persecution may be very heavy, uh, Christianity is worth the struggle. Um, some things aren't, but Jesus definitely is worth the struggle and worth us walking through the persecution we find on the side of eternity. Um, so just a rough outline before we move into, uh, into the book. Um, is basically we're going to see how Christ is superior 
um, to a lot of things, starting with um, superior to the angels, uh, the, the new covenant of grace in the New Testament, how it's superior to that uh, of the law of Moses. And so we kind of see this hint throughout. Um, and so we begin by seeing the superiority of Christ and just how pre- the preeminence of, of Christ. Um, chapter 2 uh, continues with the superiority of the Son, but it discusses the humanity of Christ. And so we see the humanity of Jesus and how even in his humanity, he is superior. Um, following in the footsteps of Christ, following uh, or living out our life by faith, uh, would probably be a good way to talk about chapter 3. Uh, chapter 4 um, is where we hear about this great high priest that we have and entering into the rest that God has promised us in Christ Jesus. And so um, definitely uh, chapter 4 is a wonderful message about how we have a great high priest and we can rest in our faith in him. Um, chapter 5 uh, is kind of warning and encouragement that we see come, come in with a lot of the, the New Testament books as well as the, the prophets of the Old Testament. Um, chapter 8, uh, a new covenant, and how that our high priest is superior to the Levitical um, high priest. And, uh, and so the Old Covenant superior or is inferior to the New Covenant in God as you kind of get to chapter 8. So the, the law uh, of Christ or uh, the message of Christ, the, the law of grace is superior to the law of Moses. Um, and so we see that kind of throughout. Sanctification and forgiveness um, once and for all. And so that's a, that's a theme that we find toward the end or getting toward the end of the book of Hebrews. Um, there's exhortation uh, to draw near to Christ and warning about the rebellion. To, to, so draw near to Christ and a warning for those who turn away uh, from their faith. Uh, there's also exhortation in chapter 10 to, um, um, and that's where we find uh, this warning about walking away from our faith. And so that's going to be interesting when we get there, but it's a wonderful passage and I look forward to when we get there. Uh, then we have the Hall of Faith, of course, in chapter 11 where we go through the Old Testament um, and the, just this hall of faith, those men who, who lived life um, completely in abandonment to their own selfishness and in complete obedience to Christ. And so I, I pray that as we get there, we would see these influences, this great cloud of witnesses uh, that have come before us through the word of God to encourage us in our own personal walk with God. Um, we see this fatherly discipline in, in chapter uh, 12, but also the notion of an unshakable kingdom. Uh, and then, of course, in chapter 13, we kind of just get to um, uh, kind of a, a benediction, uh, some last statements and encouragement. Um, so, yeah, so this is kind of where we're going in the book of Hebrews. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, I just encourage you uh, to turn to chapter 1. Some of the things we see in chapter 1 are very interesting. For instance... Um, there are, there are about eight citations from the Old Testament in um, Hebrews chapter 1. And what we actually see is God speaking. And, and so, as we go across, you can almost see God in, in the throne room with, with Christ seated at his right hand. And it's like a conversation that God is having, uh, declaring the superiority of Jesus. 
And so in the first uh, chapter, we're looking at these Old Testament quotes. And what the writer does is he puts these quotes in the mouth of God. So it's God speaking, which, which is revelation in general when God speaks to us. But this is, this is as though God the Father is speaking to the Son and making declarations about how superior the Son is. And so let's just look and we'll kind of go through a few verses at a time and talk a little bit about that. Uh, and, uh, and so if you have your Bible, I pray that you've turned there and are ready to go. So chapter 1, verse 1 says, Long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Verse 2 says, In these last days he's spoken to us by a son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. And so I'm reading out of the CSB, but just a couple things we notice there to point out as, as we're studying this is that God has spoken throughout human history. Um, and so God has spoken. We, we see the very beginning of God coming down and having dialogue with, with Adam and Eve. Uh, we see sin enter the picture and, and kind of distort the garden image. So we take that image kind of the garden and in the temple we see the dwelling place of God where God dwells with his people from the tabernacle to the temple when it's finally built. Um, and so God's spoken, but what the writer of Hebrews says is God, God has spoken in, in multiple ways before um, Christ came. So God's spoken uh, through Moses and the Pentateuch about the history and God uh, speaks through Joshua and, and conquering the land of Canaan. Uh, he speaks through judges uh, before their kings. Uh, then he speaks to prophets through to the kings. And, and then, of course, we have prophets, major and minor, through the Old Testament. So God spoke in various ways. We also think that there's also been like theophanies where God shows up, for instance, in the burning bush to Moses. Um, and so God spoke through um, actually taking on a different form and speaking to man. Um, we see God speaking to mankind by sending messengers, angels, to declare things to the prophets, for, for instance. Um, in dreams and visions, we see, uh, for instance, Joseph or uh, Daniel uh, receiving dreams and interpreting dreams. So God's spoken in the Old Testament in all types and, and various means. But now, the writer of Hebrews says, now God speaks to us differently. Now God speaks to us through the Son. The same Son that God created the whole world through. And so now Christ is the message of God. Uh, our hope, our trust, our faith in Christ alone. And, and by no other means, Christ plus nothing else, just Christ and Him alone is the means by which God is speaking to people through the life He lived, through the writings of the New Testament that are uh, Christ-centered, or should be Christ-centered, not only in the way we read, but in the way we teach Scripture. It's all about Christ being the center. Hebrews reminds um, the, the Jewish Christians about this, that God has spoken in various ways before, but now He has spoken uh, through His Son. Verse 3 says that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After making purification for sins, so after Christ died for our sins, after Christ became our propitiation, Christ atoning for our sin, Christ becoming our sin, after that takes place, according to 
to verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so what we see here is a picture of the exalted Christ. How Christ came. Uh, Philippians 2 talks about the, the humility of Christ. That he humbled himself. Came uh, obedient even to the point uh, that he took on the form of a man. And died death on the cross for our sins. For my sins and for your sins. Jesus Christ came and died for those. After the, the death, burial, resurrection. The ascension of Christ. Where Christ is now in the very presence of the Father. He's, um, God looks to him, the Father looks, and Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the, the highly exalted Son. And what the Hebrew writer is saying is kind of multiple things when he says, and he took a seat at the right hand. Uh, so the first thing is, of course, the right hand uh, is representation of authority. And so Christ has the authority of the one on, on the throne. The fact that he's seated uh, it means peace, right? So uh, a king at war isn't seated on the throne. He's preparing for battle. He's making plans. Well, Christ has already paid the price, has, has won the battle, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so uh, we take great comfort in knowing that Christ has paid uh, the payment necessary for our forgiveness, for us to have a relationship with the Father. And so just a beautiful picture there of uh, God on the throne and Christ seated at the right hand. This position of power, this position of authority to be at the right hand. You, you carried the authority of the king. And so here we see God placing on the sun this glory, this um, uh, just handing over the keys to Christ because of the price he paid and the, the war he fought. Uh, he's been highly exalted. Uh, verse 4 uh, continues and just says, uh, so, because he, so he became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. And now we'll just stop there for one second because after this we move into the Old Testament quotations where God is speaking and declaring the Old Testament about the Son. And so we just say right up front, that, that we understand that Christ is superior to the angels. That the angels uh, are at the service of Christ. Um, and, and God has placed everything under the feet and the lordship of Christ. Um, in, in Second Temple Judaism, and, uh, Jewish people at the time Jesus was alive, so we're talking uh, Paul, uh, all the disciples, what what were they? What was being taught in Second Temple Judaism? What did the Jews believe uh, before Christ came, or or while Christ walked the earth? And we know that there were certain sects, um, S E C T S sects, uh, of of people like those at at Qumran. Um, I don't want to say they worshipped angels, but but angels were pretty high up. They were very superior. In some of the writings we find uh, in the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, angels kind of have an exalted position in the pseudepigrapha. And that's a fancy way of talking about uh, the books that did not make it into the Bible. That just could not be verified. No one knew who, who wrote them first of all. Uh, there was no test for them being inspired by God. And so, uh, so they're not lost books because we have them. We can read them. We can find them. You can get them on Amazon. So they're not lost books. Uh, 
but they weren't included in the canon of Scripture because uh, of the verification. There's just no way to verify these um, books that are not in uh, the canon of Scripture uh, were inspired by God. And so we want to make sure that the, the books that are in the Bible, right, the, the, this library of God's um, dealing with man through prophets and judges and kings and ultimately through his son, we want to make sure that the books that are, are in the Bible, um, that, that they're verifiable. We know who wrote them, uh, or we know the time period is right. We see that the theology is right uh, with the rest of Scripture. Um, but we look at some of those um, books in, in what's called the Pseudepigrapha or the Apocrypha, and we see kind of an exalted angel um, in, in a lot of these, where they really, the angels were an exalted uh, spiritual being. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, and again, we're writing to Jewish Christians, so those who are, uh, have grown up in, in Jewish tradition. And so, um, so there's just so many. It's hard to pinpoint what every Jew believed because there were so many different beliefs uh, among the Jewish people at the time of Christ. But we look at some of these, like the book of 1 Enoch, and again, there's this notion within the Jewish culture of this exalted angels. And what the writer here of Hebrews says at the very beginning and the onset is that Christ is superior to the angels. He is greater than the angels. Um, so these spiritual beings that God created through Christ were made for him and by him and they should not have any type of exalted position. And so, uh, so we begin to get into this notion of how the angels are superior uh, or inferior to, to Christ. And so what we have here is the picture I was sharing with you before where the Old Testament is being quoted by God. So it's God speaking the words of the Old Testament in essence. And, and so here's what the writer of Hebrews says. For to which of the angels did he ever say, and so this is God speaking, he never said this about the angels, but this is what he has said about his son. You are my son. Today, I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. This is a declaration by God of the exalted position of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only begotten son of God. And so, so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is God never looked at an angel and said, this is my son and I am his father. There's this relationship between God and the angels where God is creator and the angels are the creation. That's a different type relationship than the relationship between Jesus Christ, the Son, and God the Father. Right? And so both are infinite. Uh, both have net, they weren't created. They did all of creation. And so it's a different relationship between God and angels and God and Christ. Um, and so he never said to the angels, I'm their father and they're my son. He did declare that about the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, it says, again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, God speaking, and let all God's angels worship him in reference to Christ. Let all the angels worship him. And so we see the exalted Christ. We see the superiority of Christ over the angels. Verse 7 says, And about the angels, he says, So now God's speaking about the angels. 
he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. In contradiction to, because now he says, but to the sun. So verse 7, this is what he said to the angels. He makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. They're the servants of God. Uh, it's, it's his glory that is reflected in the angels, not their own glory. In the same sense as believers, what we should be interested in is not glory for ourselves, but as a created people, created by God, we should be uh, demonstrating and living a life that focuses on the glorification of God. Of course, we, we think about many of our confessions, and we know that the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's, that's what we're supposed to be about as God's people is magnifying him and worshiping him and giving, ascribing glory to him. That doesn't mean that God's not glorious and we have to give him glory. It means God already is glorious and we need to acknowledge the glory of God. So he says about the angels, they're, they're my servants. Uh, verse 8 says, but to his son, this is what he said. So the angels are servants. In verse 8, God says about Christ, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. He's going to continue talking, but we'll just stop for one second and take a look at what God has said about the Son, uh, about Christ. And, and here's what God says, your throne is forever and ever. You, the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. We serve a just God, and we serve or, or have in ourselves, in our relationship with Christ, uh, the lordship of Jesus is a just lordship. Jesus Christ is just. It says you've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. We, we believe Jesus Christ is the perfect son of God. That he never sinned. Because had he sinned like mankind, then he would not have been worthy to be the sacrifice. The sinless and spotless lamb of God, which is what he was sent to do. And so he was sent uh, to be, become righteousness so that he could become our lawlessness on the cross. And so any righteousness we have is imputed. It's given to us based on the work, uh, based on the life, based on the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the soon return of Jesus our Lord. And so um, any righteousness we display or have is his righteousness. He became and took on our lawlessness so we might have relationship with the Father. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy. Beyond your companions. Uh, verse 10 starts just with and. So God continues to speak. And as God continues to speak about the son. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. That God is speaking toward the son. In the beginning. Lord you established the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands. Remember that if we go back to the very uh, first three verses of this chapter that it talks about how God created everything through Christ and so here it says in the beginning Lord you established the earth the heavens are your work are the works of your hands they will perish one day that which has been created and that sin has marred right so God created things um, 
according to his likeness and in a manner which demonstrated his glory. And then sin enters the picture. And when man sins, it twists and it warped um, the image of God in, in mankind. It, it thwarted or distorted the glory of God in nature, in creation, in the heavens. And so now we look at an earth that's groaning, ready to be made new. Uh, but who made it? Uh, God made it through Christ, according to the writer of Hebrews. Uh, so verse 11 continues this declaration where God, this is what God has said about Christ. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak. And they will be changed like clothing, but you are the same, and your years never end. I'm just want to let me finish the, the reading of, of chapter one. Verse thirteen says, Now to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits? So so for fourteen, God's saying about the angels, are the angels not all ministering spirits? These spirits are sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation. And so what, what God declares about the angels in verse 14 is that they are uh, ministering spirits that God sends out to those who are going to inherit the earth, inherit salvation. So, so God sends the angels out at his bidding uh, to serve his will through mankind. And so the angels, though they are eternal spiritual beings, have been created to minister according to the will of God, those who are going to inherit salvation. Salvation from Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus with our Father. And so what the writer of Hebrews does in chapter 1 is essentially says, um, the angels I've created and the angels have a purpose. The angels are eternal beings. In their abode, maybe they're a little higher than, than where we are as mankind. In their ability, a little higher than mankind. But the only glory they have is the glory of God the Father. The only glory they demonstrate is the glory of God the Father. The only work they do is to the glory of God the Father. The messages they bring is for the glory of God the Father. And all of that through Jesus Christ. And so the angels have been sent to minister on God's behalf to us who will inherit salvation. And the salvation we inherit is the salvation brought about by the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sealed by God raising him from the dead. Given to us and the sealing by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we see how superior Jesus Christ is to even the angels. And so, uh, so definitely, uh, you know, as Christians, we don't worship the angels. Um, and, and I'm not submitting that all Jewish people worshiped angels. In fact, part of the Jewish um, establishment, part of the Sanhedrin, the, the Sadducees, didn't really believe in the afterlife or angels. Um, but first century Jewish culture, some of the writings that are written that aren't scripture, but just tell us a little about the culture, we see some um, exalted angels and some of the works um, during the Old Testament period. Not, not the Old Testament scripture. But writings that 
that tell us what was being taught among Jewish people and Jewish cultures in the time of the second temple or, or when Jesus Christ is walking the earth as the word made flesh. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying to the Jewish uh, Christians, the Hebrews, this is who it's written to, right? What he's saying to them is, listen, God never said to the angels, you're my son. God never said to the angels um, that all other angels will worship you. Yet God has said concerning his son, I am your father and the angels will worship you. Uh, he um, never said to the angels, you have a throne, you're exalted, you are glorified, you, you have loved righteousness and dispelled lawlessness. Yet to the Son, he declares, you have an eternal throne, uh, you are righteous, you have lived a life of righteousness uh, when you took on flesh in the form of a man humbling yourself in obedience even to the point of death on a cross. So God now has said to his son, right? So the father has said to the son, take your seat at my right hand. This is the exalted position. Sitting at the right hand of God the father. This, this is to be exalted. This is a position of authority. This, this means you, you are next to me. And God's given, uh, according to the writer of Hebrews and according to Scripture in general, God has handed creation over to him. God, God has said, here, it's yours. Sit here until I make your enemies a footstool. He's seated because he's already won every battle that needs to be won by his life and his death. Verified because of his resurrection Everything that needs to be done for salvation, for people like you and for me, has been completed in Jesus Christ. And so he's seated because he's already won the battle. He's already paid the price. It's why he's so much higher, greater, and superior, even to the angels. And so this doesn't mean that, um, that God's through with angels, or that God doesn't use angels. It means this. This is just the first uh, installment of things that Christ is superior to. So in, in Hebrews chapter 1, Christ is superior to the angels. Um, we get over into chapter 2, and we're going to look at the humanity of Christ, and, uh, and we're going to just continue through to where we see Christ as greater than the law of Moses, superior to that. And so really to, to see the preeminence of Christ, um, the glory of God now in the person of the Lord Jesus exalted at the right hand of the Father. Uh, and we see the Son is the radiance of God's glory. And so, uh, wow, I mean, I just, um, I love the book of Hebrews. And um, it makes much of Jesus. It lifts Jesus high. Um, it's, it's a beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God, of the righteousness of Christ, and, uh, and the exalted position that Christ now has um, at the right hand of the Father. And so we see our Lord and Savior in the Gospels as a meek, loving, tender, 
teacher, master, discipler. Um, now we see the exalted Christ, who is the radiance of the glory of God. So that when the apostle John sees him in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, he falls to the ground as though he were dead at Christ, who is the, the radiance of God's glory. And so I pray that, um, that you'll enjoy this study uh, that we started tonight in the book of Hebrews as we work our way through on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights right now through um, our Facebook Live or if you're on Instagram or, or Twitter, um, live on there as well. Um, yeah, just uh, read through it, study it. Um, read, read chapter 2 before Wednesday if you have, have the opportunity. Uh, so that as we discuss it and talk about it, it'll be fresh in your heart and your mind. Again, I just, um, I tell you, my, uh, my heart's heavy for the state um, of our nation. And so um, I, I pray that you would join me in prayer for our country, uh, that justice um, and Equality would be something that we all long for when we see injustices and when we see um, actions that violate uh, equality, that we would stand up and, uh, and make our voices heard for sometimes those who are the voiceless. Um, and so just uh, yeah, pray with me as we pray uh, for our country. Um, that God will use community leaders like pastors that are willing to get together around the table and to have conversations about difficult things um, and that uh, we're all willing to, to stop and to listen and to see how we can uh, represent all the members of our churches regardless of the color of their skin and uh, how we can ensure that they have the same voice at the table that we do. Um, so yeah, I, I pray that you would just be in prayer um, as my heart's heavy for, um, for many friends and, and for our country. So I pray God bless. Uh, let's pray and then we'll be through for tonight. Thanks for, for watching and I pray that it's been a blessing. Dear God, we come to you tonight. We're so thankful that you've made uh, our country such a diverse country that you've taken the body of Christ and the body of Christ is so diverse and it's in our diversity that we really see the beauty and so Lord I pray that each tribe and tongue and language and nation and race would be held to the same esteem knowing that our quality our value system who we are where our worth is rooted in is that we've been created in the very image of God. So I pray you would give me ears to hear. Conversations that can take place. Not only me, but, but others. And that we would begin to see, Lord, social inequalities to be a thing of the past. And we ask it in the precious, the holy, the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen.